Good morning. Welcome again to our online service here at South Suburban Christian Church. My name is Pastor Ike. I'm the senior pastor here. And again, I want to thank you for joining with us this morning. It is a supreme honor on behalf of our congregation that you're taking time today to be with us this morning to worship together. If you're joining us on some of our other platforms, uh, Facebook or SoundCloud uh, or uh, YouTube, thank you for being here. And if you are on YouTube, we sure hope that you will like this video, share it to your social media, and be sure to subscribe uh, as we seek to continue to grow this ministry in an effort to glorify God. Uh, today we're continuing in our series. Uh, we're now at the point in the life of Jesus where we're in the last week. Uh, so we're looking at these last few days of Jesus's life. And our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be reading in verse 3 of Mark chapter 14. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus' head. There were some who said to themselves indignant, indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, that's about a year's salary, and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. I want to begin this morning uh, perhaps with a first point. And it's about how we're going to be approaching this text today. My first point is the Bible is the Word of God, that's a lowercase w, that reveals the Word of God with an uppercase w. That is, is the Bible is the Word of God that reveals to us the Word, the eternal Word of God, Jesus Christ. You know, I'll have to be honest with you, <clears throat> I often worry that I'm probably one of the most frustrating preachers you will ever meet. I am stubborn in my opinion that my job as a preacher is to proclaim the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ. When I read the Bible, when I read the Word of God, I'm always looking for what it says about Jesus. Not about me, not about you, for that matter, not even about the church, although I do admit that the bride of Christ, his church, is important. But what I want to see is Jesus in this revealed Word of God. So it is with that explanation that I want to begin this uh, day by warning you that my approach to this text today is somewhat unorthodox, and yet at the same time, it's in an effort to be orthodox. I'm going to try to lift up a perspective that I hope that you will at least consider. 
one of the complaints that I often receive about my preaching is, is that I'm not always applicable in the sermon. That is, my sermons don't give you three steps to a better prayer life or five ways you can experience more fulfillment in your marriage. And it's, it's, not, that I'm not, it's not that I'm against those things. I'm not. I want you to have a better life. I want your marriage to be happier. But my job right here, right now, standing with this word right here today, is to open up the counsels of God and to offer the good news. That's what the word gospel literally means, the good news. This passage that I read to you this, uh, today is, is one of those popular passages. And as we have <clears throat> continued in this series, we are arriving in this last week of Jesus' life. This is one of those texts that's often read in that last week uh, of Jesus' life for churches that remember and commemorate those last days of Jesus' life. As a matter of fact, it is uh, for, for those churches that don't do a lot of services during Holy Week, you know, the, the Monday through uh, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday, for churches who don't observe those, they'll oftentimes read this very passage on the Sunday before Easter. Now, for us, we uh, here at South Suburban celebrate that as Palm Sunday because we deal with these texts during the week. But for folks who come only on Sunday, you don't often hear these texts. So some churches move these texts to the Sunday before Easter. And that's why this text is so important. There's a reason that Mark places this scene in Jesus' life where he places it. As a matter of fact, uh, this scene is the day before Jesus will celebrate the Last Supper. And you'll remember from your Sunday school or from your own Bible reading that it was immediately after the Last Supper that Jesus goes and prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, there is arrested, and begins the trek toward his crucifixion. You know, this um, text is really been preached and taught from a perspective that most of us will be expecting that you're probably not going to hear a whole lot about today. I mean, um, I hope that as I'm speaking to you, and, and maybe even right now, you can sense some of my frustration as to how often this text is proclaimed as a text in which we teach about thankfulness or generous and faithful giving where the woman anoints Jesus with an expensive perfume. Now, I'm sure that all of those things are very nice things. It's not that I'm against thankfulness or uh, faithful and generous giving. Um, I, you know, matter of fact, I think for many of us, those are lessons that we would do well listening to and hearing. It helps us think about other generous people. It, it, it helps us think about how we can be generous. But in my opinion... And you're free to disagree with me. But in my opinion, that's not what this story, what this scene, what this record of what happened in Jesus' life is all about. You see, my concern is that when we look at Scriptures to see how we can be better Christians, we're failing to recognize the heart of the Gospel. We can fall into this idea that salvation is something about works or a righteousness mindset that we look for ways that we can be better, do better, 
and ultimately somehow be worthy for the gift that God gives to us. Look, if you're worthy, it's not a gift. It's a salary. Yet we do see in this woman's actions things about Jesus. Some of the things that she does describes who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and what's going to happen to Jesus. Now, I don't question her piety. I don't question her, her, her faith. It's just the purpose. Um, uh, it, it's the purpose of this text for me and you as believers trying to understand who Jesus is, to be introduced to what's about to happen in the Gospel of Mark to Jesus as he goes into the Last Supper, is arrested, tried, crucified, and buried. As a matter of fact, even Jesus says about her, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So I get it. I really do. But the whole, you know, point one, she didn't count the cost. Point two, she shows humility. Point three, she was criticized for her good deeds. I mean, they're all good points for a teaching lesson. But they're not the gospel. So if you would indulge me, if you would show me some grace... Can I invite us to look at this text from another perspective? And so really my second point, which really for this moment is the first point, Jesus comes to the sick who know that they need to be healed. Look at the text there. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was in the home of a leper. Now, we don't really know who this Simon is. We assume that the unnamed woman in Mark is Mary, who is the sister of Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus. And tradition tells us that uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus' father was a man named Simon. So some scholars believe that this is Mary, and Simon, therefore, is her father. Other scholars say that the Mary here is Mary Magdalene. Well, we don't really know. And I think for the purpose of trying to see what this text is trying to share with us, those questions really aren't as important as we might initially think that they are. Now, what I think is interesting in this is is that Mark takes time to say that Simon was a leper. Now, This is a different kind of story of leprosy or someone who is suffering from leprosy than we generally see in the Gospels. Most of the lepers that we see in the Gospels are uh, folks who have been cast out of the community, not not at home with their family. Um, They are people that Jesus heals and restores to some sense of wholeness, yet that doesn't seem to be the case here with Simon. So why is that? Well, I think we can safely assume that Simon did indeed probably suffer from some sort of skin disease. But it wasn't to the point where he was necessarily shunned. It wasn't to the point where his family felt threatened by him and would have thrown him out. Maybe the leprosy, and and of course, as I have shared with you before, leprosy was sort of a broad name that could be used for all kinds of skin conditions. So Maybe it was a a skin cancer, or perhaps it was some sort of... uh, Uh, eczema or some kind of minor skin for that matter it could have been freckles for all we know sometimes in the ancient world folks could be pretty fickle about these sorts of things not like the modern age right still a rabbi 
a religious leader would not have visited the home of a leper, regardless of the perceived seriousness of the condition. Simon would not have been allowed into the assembly, into the synagogue. He certainly would not have been allowed into the temple. Simon would have been considered unclean. And therefore, for all intents and purposes, Simon was an outcast. Simon was a sinner, as the ancients would have believed. Now, as I've already mentioned, but I want to reiterate for you right now, another interesting thing is the whole chronology of what's going on here. Uh, This was his last meal before his last supper. I'll tell you why that was a little bit later. But what's amazing here is that Jesus comes to the sick. Now, the irony of all of this is Simon was not the one who was truly sick in the eyes of Jesus. He never healed him. Simon was the one Jesus chose to spend his spare time with, to relax with. I mean, this is all taking part in the last week of Jesus' life. Many of these scenes occur in Jerusalem, where Jesus is going every day to preach, teach, to engage with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, But each evening he comes back to a small town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany, which is where Simon the leper lives, and he spends his evenings with his friends, his closest people, the ones he gains some sense of strength and encouragement from. Simon was the one whom Jesus chose to have dinner with, a tremendous honor in the ancient world. Well, who were the sick then, if Simon wasn't really the one who was sick? Well, I think that the folks who were really sick were the ones who thought they were healthy or pure or holy or chosen. One only needs to read the whole Gospel of Mark, or any of the Gospels for that matter, and we can see pretty quickly that it was the religious leaders, those folks who thought that they had everything together, Those folks that people looked up to and saw in their lives a sense of purity that they envied. Those were the folks, in the eyes of Jesus, who were really sick. And we can see examples of that. They were the ones trying to trip Jesus up. They were the ones trying to demean the message that Jesus was bringing. And ultimately, they were the ones who were seeking Jesus' very life. The Apostle Paul, he, he kind of helps us see the truth when he writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the difference wasn't that the leper was sick and the Pharisees weren't, or even that the leper was healthy and the Pharisees were the ones that were sick. The difference is that the leper knew he was sick. Whereas the Pharisees, well, I think you know the answer to that question. They thought they were healthy. And in many ways, this story is about being able to see clearly what's going on here. To be able to see clearly who Jesus is. Some of you may remember when Johnny Nash wrote his song, 
I can see clearly now, he writes. You may not know this, but he wrote this song from his hospital bed after he was recovering from surgery. It was in those moments of pain, grief, and fear that Nash says he was finally able to see. Or as he writes, I can see all the obstacles in my way. You see, Simon the leper could see all of the obstacles. The Pharisees, well, they were blinded by their arrogance. Until we recognize our need for grace and mercy, we can never receive God's grace and mercy. If we don't know we're sick, what motivates us to receive the medicine? If we don't know of our disease, why would we search out the cure? Until we can see our own brokenness, most of us simply refuse to allow Jesus to heal us. You see, even though we are broken and can't save our own lives, the free will of God gives to us the ability to continue to refuse His healing touch. Years ago, I had a deacon in one of the churches that I served. I remember the day that he shared his understanding and perspective about the relationship and the effort on God's part to save us. He said that it isn't so much that Christ uh, is the person to whom we run, but rather it is Christ who is running after us. Our problem is, is that we keep running away. You see, you don't have to find anything. You don't have to search for God. You don't have to keep busily looking for God's peace, God's grace, God's mercy. All you have to do is stop running. Let Christ catch you. Let Him heal you. Let Him carry you. Or for those of you who might be like me, who think about life and God like I have sought to put into my own life, consider surrendering to Him. For me, for Ike Nicholson, it was the moment that I bowed my head and said, Lord, I think I know what I want for my life. I think I know what I want for my life. But what I do know is that you know what I need for my life. I think Simon knew the same thing. And I think that's why Jesus had come to Simon's house. I think the third point of this text that is so powerful for me is that the gift that the woman gave to Jesus can be easily missed. And so here's the third point. It was nard, not myrrh. <laughs> I'm sometimes envious of what it would be like to live in the past. I mean, if you know me, you know I love history. And I can sit and I can soak up books about what it was like to live in the time of Plato or Aristotle or, or what it might be like to be a soldier under Alexander the Great or 
one of the disciples of Jesus, or perhaps an eyewitness of the Reformation, or even the founding of our country. And I loved to immerse myself in the stories of my own father as he told me what it was like to grow up in the 1920s. But my dad was always fond of saying, Son, the good old days weren't really that good. We went to an outhouse in the middle of the night with some pages from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, and there was no air conditioning anywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry if that was too graphic for some of you. For others, it might have brought back bad memories. And for still others, you might be like, what is he talking about? Ask your grandparents. They'll tell you all about it. Well, most of us today, living today, most of us probably bathe at least every day. Most of us use soap and water when we do it. And then we put on scented lotions. Aftershave, perfume, cologne, deodorant, antiperspirant. As a matter of fact, I'm sort of an Old Spice kind of guy. I know that dates me, but James, our communications director, he likes Old Spice too, so I do have some allies among those who are a bit younger. Now, don't judge us because we buy our aftershave from the grocery store, but we all have our favorite perfumes. We all have our favorite lotions, and we reference them by their marketed names, don't we? And we all prefer a subtle hint of the scent there's nothing worse than someone who bathes in their cologne no one wants to walk into a room and the whole room be filled with the smell of calvin klein or burberry or whatever it is is uh, famous in your household or among your group of friends well in the ancient world there really wasn't the benefit of regular bathing for the average person so strong perfumes were a must Perfumes, ointments, spices, they were all a regular part of the ancient culture, each with their own significance. Juniper, thyme, and coriander were uh, believed to bring healing, and so they were given to people who were sick so that they could be healed. Cinnamon was a gift that you might give to somebody to, to, to uh, witness to your loyalty to them. It, it represented stability. Basil, ah, that meant fertility. Myrrh, myrrh. Myrrh meant death. You remember the gifts that Jesus was given by the Magi? It's read every year around Christmas. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh would have been used to anoint a dead body. It covered the smell of death. I can imagine what Mary thought when this Magi presented her small child the gift of embalming fluid, or at least the ancient world's understanding of embalming fluid. Myrrh would have been a foreshadowing spice to anoint Jesus with. But she uses nard. Now, I don't want to get into the history of nard, but for our purposes today, it might be helpful if you knew a couple of things about nard. Nard was a particularly earthy scent. It was rather strong. 
And it's really, really hard to get. Today as well is as in the ancient world. There was a nard that would come from Syria, which wouldn't have been very far from where Jesus was, where Jesus served and ministered. But it was a cheaper kind of nard. That nard didn't have much of a scent to it, and they would have mixed it with lemongrass or lavender. And the reason they did that is, is because they were trying to replicate the scent of pure nard. You see, pure nard was the best nard. Pure nard only grew in the northern part of India. And even then, only at altitudes over 15,000 feet. Those who cultivated it would have to go to that uh, altitude, pull up the plants, and get the resin out of the roots of those plants. It had an earthy scent, but with a slight hint of another scent that could be best replicated with lavender. The stuff was outrageously expensive. It, in many cases, would cost an entire year's salary to purchase. And nard was generally reserved for a woman. She would save it up her entire life so that on her wedding night, she could anoint herself with the nard. It was the best. It was a way of saying, as husband and wife begin their marriage together on that wedding night, a new life is coming. Not only a new life of them as husband and wife, but a new life. That is, that God might bless the couple with a child. It's that nard that this woman uses. And it's why it's so interesting that Jesus says that she's preparing him for his death. For nard was not something that would have been connected with death. It would have been connected with life. It would have been connected not with decay. It would have been connected with new beginnings. Are you seeing what I'm saying? I think that this passage, this pointing to this spice that this woman is giving to Jesus is a foreshadowing. It's a giving of a deeper meaning to this whole thing that directly relates to Jesus. Who He is, what He's about to go through, and how victory is going to come out of it. It's not so much about her generosity, albeit magnificent in and of itself, but a generosity that's even bigger and not a gift that she gives, but a gift that she receives. Remember that I said typically this is used on wedding nights? Well, it's not by mistake that you and I as the church are called the bride of Christ. So here's what I think Mark is doing. I think Mark is telling the story of Jesus about a day before he dies when he chooses to record how he's anointed with this nard. Not myrrh. Not a sign of his impending death, but a sign 
of new life. Not a sign of eternity in the tomb, but a sign of resurrection, of final victory. For it's in Jesus' resurrection that the gates of hell are stormed. It's in Jesus' resurrection that you and I have hope for our own resurrection. If it were not for the resurrection, Jesus would be the same as any other peddler of a new religion or philosophy or morality. But what makes Jesus different is His resurrection, the glorified Jesus, the new life that is offered to each of us. You see, that is gospel. The ointment. It's a sign that points to the truth of Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. New life, Paul says. The very thing that nard represents to the ancient world you see this scene this glimpse into the life of jesus isn't about how we welcome jesus into our home it's about how jesus welcomes us into his home that in his coming to dwell with us we see that really it is we who dwell with him it isn't about how we can be more generous it's about the generosity of christ to us it isn't about how we should endure the criticism of the world to give richly to others it's about how christ endured our brutality and in return gave us the keys to his kingdom it is a story of a woman who loved jesus so much that she gave him everything and that we would rightly tell stories about what this unnamed woman did in memory of her. But brothers and sisters, she did not initiate the relationship with Jesus. She did this because Jesus initiated the relationship with her. You see, it wasn't to earn Jesus' love or to show how holy she was. It was a response to who she knew Jesus was and the lengths Jesus would go to ensure her redemption. You see, her generosity was not an effort to prove her worthiness of grace. It was a response to the grace that Jesus offered freely to her, to Simon the leper, and yes, to the Pharisee, and especially for today, to you and to me. I'm not asking you to live a life worthy of God's love. I'm telling you, neither you nor I could do that to begin with. There is nothing we can do to earn God's love. And so, I am stubbornly proclaiming to you that it is Jesus' generosity that is the central message of the story. Not this woman. And not our effort to replicate her life. It is about Jesus.
Now, you and I have two responses. Two ways that we can receive this message. We can be like the Pharisees who might say, no, no, pastor, appreciate your thoughts, but I think I can still do it. It's my life, my choices, my responsibilities, and my victories. Yea, God, look at me. Or we could be like Simon the leper, like this woman. We can say, Lord, thank you for giving me everything. And because you have given me everything, I am now able to give back to you. Because of your generosity, I am able to be generous with the world. And now, O oh God, I give to you all that I can give. My life for your glory. That's how I want to live, brothers and sisters. My flesh, like so many people, man, I want to do great things. I mean, who doesn't like to receive honor and praise? How many pastors out there don't want to have successful ministries? How many of you don't want to be successful in your line of work or in your life? But my spirit... My spirit knows the truth. The truly great thing, the truly great thing is that we can offer ourselves to Christ for His will for our lives. And it's in that that we ultimately find our greatness. It's in my submission that I'm given by Him the wisdom to lead it's in my surrender that I ultimately realize true victory. It's in my fear of God that I discover courage. And because of Christ, because of what He has done, it is in my death that I recognize that those chains cannot hold me any longer. And as my eyes open and as I see the face of Christ, when I pass from this temporal existence into that which is eternal, I will smell the faint scent of nard, of lavender. When I will be raised from the dead, and I'll walk in the newness of life eternal. And I hope I'll meet that woman that unnamed woman from the Gospel of Mark. And I believe that she will thank us and say to us, I'm glad you remembered me, but thank you for lifting up the main character of the story. Not me, but him. Thank you for recognizing it wasn't me who was generous. But it was Christ who gave his life. That is divine generosity. So, here's a moment. 
what will you do? Will you stop running? Will you allow yourself to be caught? Will you surrender? And in so doing, discover victory. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And do you accept Him as Lord and Savior? Over the past 17 weeks, over 82 people have made that decision, have rededicated their lives to Christ. Will you join them? Will you join with us as we give our lives to Christ? If you've done that today, we hope that you'll click on the box that you are receiving Christ if you're on our online.church platform. If you're in watching this from any of our other platforms, will you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com so that together we can celebrate as a part of the bride of Christ the gift of new life. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, for those who have stopped running today, and fold them in your arms. For those who have bent the knee and bowed the head and have surrendered to you, raise them up and give them the blessing of victory. For those who still struggle with fear, pour into them the courage of the Holy Spirit. And may your church, O oh God, Continue with resolve and loyalty, proclaiming what the Word of God reveals. That is the Word of God, Jesus Christ Himself. In His name we pray. Amen.